We're so glad that you're listening to the Branches Podcast. If you're in the Houston area, we'd love to see you in person at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. For more information, go to brancheshtx.org. We hope this message helps you draw closer to God and that you hear the good news that you belong. Thanks for listening. good to be with you in worship today, friends. We're in our second week in a series called Unhurried. We're talking about Sabbath, uh, what it means to Sabbath. And last week we talked about the kind of first rhythm of Sabbath, which is to stop. And so to stop is really to kind of take account to wherever we are, whatever situation of life we're in, whatever external circumstances come to pass, we're able to stop, even just for a moment, and recognize uh, that God is God and we are not, that God holds creation all around us, and that we can just stop and recognize who he is. And that's the foundational thing. That's the first step. That's the first rhythm of Sabbath. And today we're talking about rest. And I've already talked to a few of you this morning. They're like, you're, you're waiting for this week, you know. Uh, and I hope I can offer some guidance and wisdom. And I hope I can point us to the one who gives us rest. And not just rest for a moment, but rest for a lifetime and rest for eternity. One who offers us rest, not just physically and bodily, but also rest emotionally and spiritually. And so I love that good news, that invitation that Jesus uh, invites us to, this way of life he invites us to. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. That's good news because I think we burden one another uh, with this news about Jesus. And Jesus says, it is no burden. It's easy and light, so come to me and I'll give you rest. So with that in mind, with that expectation, with that vision we have for ourselves, let's pray together. Almighty God, we come to you from a variety of experiences, the variety of ways that our weeks went this past week, but all of us in some way are seeking rest from you. Grant us that in this moment. Whatever we need, whatever ails us, whatever burdens we bear, whatever we're carrying around that's so heavy, help us carry it. Whatever is hurting us, whatever is just nagging at us, just um, offer healing in that. Give us content and comfort. Help us just understand that you are with us and that you invite us to a a light and easy yoke. That the things hanging over our shoulders, you carry them with us and you bear our burdens. Help us remember that so we might rest in you. Help us hear these words today and may they grant us spiritual rest in our lives as we leave this place and go out into our week. That we might uh, invite others to your rest, your comfort, your peace. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I picked a bad profession to be bad at names. <laughs> uh, it's the worst when I like am in the grocery store and Landon and I moved uh, closer to the church relatively recently and someone will say hi to me uh, and they'll say my name and I'll have to be like, hi dude, so good to see you. <laughs> uh, but I'm learning, I'm trying my best and I'm, I'm so bad at remembering names. But it's, it's frustrating when I remember something that I'm not trying to remember, you know? Like, of the things I really want to remember, people's names and appointments that I have and all of that, uh, these memories, like things that I'm dying to forget, or even not even just things I'm dying to forget, things like, why did I remember that? Just, like, bubble up occasionally. Like, late at night or in the middle of the night or in a certain situation, just a memory will come back to me. And there's one that comes back to me from time to time, and it's helped me understand uh, kind of what I think about and how I feel about rest. 
I was in, I think, eighth or ninth grade. It was a lazy Saturday or Sunday. I was like laying on the floor of the living room. I was reading a book or playing a video game or something. And my dad had the TV on to like ESPN 3 or 4 or something. I know it wasn't regular ESPN because what was on TV uh, was a Texas Hold'em poker tournament. <laughs> um, and at the time, like when I was that age, like Texas Hold'em was like really, really hot. Uh, and like I knew like people in school were playing it all the time. It was on TV all the time. And I sort of understood the rules, but I was asking my dad the rules of Texas Hold'em poker. And my dad was into it too, and so he was excited for me to learn about it, I guess. Not for me to gamble, probably, uh, but to learn more about Texas Hold'em poker. And so I'd kind of peek away from my video game for a second and ask him a question, and he kind of let me know what was going on, and we're like, okay, interesting. And I'd kind of watch for a little bit, and you know, the really serious guys with the, like their button-down shirt, unbuttoned three buttons, they think they're so cool, and their sunglasses and their deadpan faces, they're like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever watched, you know? Uh, and watching this tournament, and in between hands, they would do little profiles on some of the people playing poker. And most of the time it was like B or C list um, athletes, you know, that weren't playing sports anymore, so they're playing Texas Hold'em or like some old guy from Italy or something that plays poker. And then there was this one guy, and he caught my attention because he looked really young. Not my age, he wasn't in eighth or ninth grade, I don't think that's allowed. Uh, but he was young enough that it caught my attention. And he was kind of, you know, slacker vibe, like baggy pants and a t-shirt, and he was wearing a hat and sunglasses. And when they were doing his profile, he was like surfing, and then he was skateboarding, and he was kind of lounging around and like playing beach volleyball, like these details. I remember all this in this profile. But what I really remember, this, the, the thing that really caught my attention is he was 35 years old, and the narrator was saying that he had made all this money in this company that he started, and he sold all of his shares in the company, and he retired at the age of 35. And I remember asking my dad, you can do that? <laughs> you can retire when you're, when you're 35? And he was like, yeah, I mean, like, you make a lot of money on me, you can do whatever you want. And that captivated me. Uh, I didn't want to play poker, I didn't want that. But I, I was captivated by this life that he lived, you know, that he could do whatever he wanted to. He made all this money, and so it, it, it enabled him to skateboard or surf or sit around and do nothing if he wanted to. And so I did what any, you know, hopeful millionaire or billionaire would do. I got an English degree and went to seminary. Uh, but I, I, what captivated me, though, was just like this idea that we're, we talked about it last week, this idea that we live in an attention economy, that we have things vying for our attention all the time. But it's not just our attention, it's our availability. And there's no greater feeling in the world to me, maybe it's different for you, but there's no greater feeling in the world to me when, like, I can be available to do anything. When, like, I'm available to myself. I tell people this all the time when they're like, oh, you're going on vacation, like, what are you going to do? My favorite thing to do on vacation is have no agenda. Uh, to go and I wake up and just the world is open to me. I can wake up as late as I want to. I can wear whatever I want. I can decide to eat dinner early or late. I can decide to you know, go out to eat or stay at home. I can do whatever I want. Those are my favorite days, these agendaless days. And because they feed that thing I think all of us have uh, to be available to no one but ourselves. You may have seen it. Uh, it's because all over the news, and there was a big profile about her in the New York Times a couple of weeks ago, uh, Trisha Hersey. She uh, went to divinity school. Some would say the best divinity school at Emory University. Uh, I don't know who would say that. Uh, and she, to go to divinity school, she sold her car. She was a single mom. She was working a couple of jobs, and she was in grad school. 
at the Harvard of the South, some would say. I don't know who would say that. I've just heard it, you know. And uh, she was working really, really hard. And she would find herself on public transit in Atlanta, falling asleep on the bus or the train. She'd be caring for her kids and just kind of in, you know, going through the motions, going on autopilot. Uh, she was trying to do her work. She was doing that thing that I think many of us have experienced where you're reading a book and if you're laying with the book in front of your face and you drop it on your face or you drop it in your lap, she was trying to get through school and it's just like stretched in every direction and just completely and utterly tired. And Trisha, in recognizing that, she's is so bold, that's the way I'll put it. It was so bold of her and just this bravery and this kind of uh, way that she wanted to live her life. She kind of said to herself, I don't care if my grades suffer, I'm going to sleep. <laughs> uh, and I think many of us have been there before. She's like, I'm going to go to sleep. And so she would just nap places. She'd nap on the bus, and she'd nap at school on the couches, or she'd go to work, and then on her break, she'd go to her car, and she'd take a nap. And believe it or not, her grades actually got better. <laughs> and she felt her relationship with her kids was better. She was less tense, and she was less quick to snap at them or whatever. She felt better. And so now she runs this thing uh, called the Nap Ministry. You can look it up, Nap Ministry. And she's now, I don't think she crowned herself this. Someone has called her the Nap Bishop. And so when I look at the trajectory of my life, I'm like, branches goes well, next step, Nap Bishop. You know, uh, when she decides to retire, I want that crown. That's the title I want. She's the Nap Bishop. And so she has this um, old Presbyterian church in Grant Park in Atlanta, it's a historic neighborhood, and uh, it's where the nap ministry is, and there are, like, literal beds in there for people to come take naps. They have, like, daydreaming sessions. Uh, they have speakers come, and the whole vibe is, like, listen to the... They have a harp player come. I, like, I was, like, looking at the budget last week, like, could we get a harp player, you know? Because uh, they want this chill, restful vibe, because she knows that rest is important. That rest is something we all long for. That in our frenetic and frantic and busy lives, rest is a, a, a place that many of us kind of dream about and long for and may not always get fully. And she says we sh- we're shorting ourselves because we really need it. It's actually uh, you know, integral to our lives. We need rest. And so she wants a place for people to come rest. And she witnesses people come and they take a nap and they're just like tearful. Because it's like, I've never had a place where someone tell me or give me permission to be able to do this. I've never felt like this was something that I had the time to do. She started the NAP ministry. And, uh, you know, uh, though NAP bishop sounds attractive, I think it sounds odd to many of us because we live in this hustle culture. Like, what's on to the next thing, on to the next thing, on to the next thing, uh, and we'll rest when we have time to. But again, this, this invitation that Jesus offers, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Uh, Eugene Peterson, we quoted him last week. He wrote the message translation of the Bible or paraphrase of the Bible. I love the way that he puts that same verse in the message. He says this. Uh, Do we have the text for that? Uh, The message version of this? Yeah, there we go. Are you tired? And this is one of those, it's like these are rhetorical questions, but you can say yes out loud if you want. Uh, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. This is so beautiful. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. 
and I'll learn to live free, you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I mean, both invitations, CEB and the message. I will like, you know, one of, the, one of the temptations I had this week was like just to get up and read that a few times and sit down. Because <laughs> even just reading those words, I find rest. I won't put anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. I'll show you the unforced rhythms of grace. I'll show you what it really means to take a true rest. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest. We're invited by Jesus to see not, uh, life not as a right or something that we deserve, but life as a gift. And part of that gift is the ability to be at ease and content, to take on the easy yoke of Jesus, because we're given heavy yokes of all these other things all the time to be this or do that or to produce this or to produce that and use your time to hustle and do more and more and more and more. And if you have time, if you can fit it in, kind of halfway have a nap and your eyes are halfway open and you're not really awake and really you're dreaming about the next thing you have to do. (laughs) And Jesus says, no, I want to show you what it means to really rest. If we're, we're living in an attention economy or an availability economy, I think the invitation is really simply this, that to rest is to be available to God. And to be available to God, not to be punished or to give him more things to do. I've joked about this a lot with the staff and some of the leadership that, you know, one thing I want to invite you to do is to not be church busy, that if I can ask you to do less, that's what I want you to do is to do less and not do more, not fill your schedule with more stuff if it's keeping you from encountering the way of Jesus, to be available to him. So I think there's kind of three rhythms of rest or kind of three definitions I want to give for rest. Uh, The first one is shalom. Uh, We kind of get a taste of it in that scripture from Hebrews we read today. The Sabbath rest is offered to us, and it's not just about taking the Saturday or a Sunday off so we can rest and set everything aside and be with God, though that's part of it, but it's also a taste of the rest to come that we know, we know deep in our hearts that it's not just that things are the way we don't want them to be, but things aren't as they ought to be. And for Christians, things are as they will be in the future, that God desires and and dreams for our world to be reconciled, for all people to be at rest. That's what shalom means. It's about our future hope. We look on the horizon and we can see, and then we get these pictures painted in Scripture of even the animal kingdom, the violence of the prey and the predator, all of that is put to rest as well. And in, in, in the world of humans, all of our affairs, there's justice and mercy and compassion and all people are given rest. That's this picture that Jesus gives of shalom. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Not just in that moment, but a promise for the future too. Second, this is borrowed somewhat from Trisha Hersey's book uh, called Rest is Resistance, and it's a really cool way of thinking about it. That rest is a way that we we push back on the external uh, circumstances and the external forces in our world that are asking us to do more, not to be more. So we resist by resting. We say like, you know, I can turn off my phone for today. (laughs) The world will go on without me. uh, And that's okay because God is in control and God is carrying the world. I was in uh, Port Aransas yesterday, sermon prep, you know, sitting at the beach, resting. <laughs> uh, I was with the students, actually, on a stu- the student uh, retreat. And uh, I was sitting in a coffee shop at one point, and I was doing that prayer that many pastors do every Saturday, which is like, dear God, please give me a good illustration. <laughs> and I was just kind of sitting there. I had ordered my coffee. I didn't have it yet. And I could feel myself getting impatient. Uh, I was like, it's just a coffee. It's not that complicated. How long is it going to take? Uh, And I looked up, and above the menu, it said, 
impatience is not on the menu. <laughs> uh, uh, you're on beach time now, I think is what it said. And so I was like, okay, very funny. Uh, you know, the, this is the invitation, that we resist this idea to be impatient and to be rude to a barista or something. Not that I was going to do that. And then I went up there, and I was like, I'll just check. I'll gently check. And so I said, I ordered a coffee, and I still haven't gotten it yet. And they had set it aside because they told the barista that it was for call-in, and they had written call-in, C-A-L-L-I-N. They thought somebody had phoned in to have a, a coffee. Uh, can't make this up. Uh, so I was waiting. It was a test of my patience. And I was resisting the urge, you know, uh, to be frantic and worried about it. Rest is resistance. And third, uh, trust is to, is, uh, or rest is to trust. Uh, that's what faith actually means. The word faith means to trust. And rest is to trust that God is in control, to trust that God is holding all things together, trust that everything eventually will be okay, trust that God can hear you, trust that God is with you, trust in God's character, who God is. I'm reminded of this passage, one of my favorite passages from the New Testament, uh, where we hear really clearly a picture of who Jesus is to the early Christians. Um, it's, it's, it's really really pointed and beautiful and really clear about who Jesus is. This is Paul speaking, one of the first apostles, followers of Jesus. He says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That same person that's above all things and holds all things together is the same one who issues this invitation to you, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. It's a beautiful thing to remember that this very specific person who lived 2,000 years ago is also holding it all together now, and he invites you, you, you individually to come to him and rest in him because of who he is. I think there's uh, just a really practical points here about how we practice each one of those facets of Sabbath rest. First, shalom. Uh, I think we all, if we just sat here for a second, could name and identify a place where if we could just go there, we would be at peace. Maybe take a moment to think about that place right now. Maybe it's a, a cove carved out in your home with your comfiest chair and a place to set your mug with your tea or your coffee in and it smells great and it's quiet and it's off limits for your children and your dog or whatever else. That There's this place that you've set up. And if you don't have that place to practice shalom, to practice Sabbath rest, find that place or make that place. And whatever senses, whatever smells or sounds or tastes that you need to feel at rest, yeah, take those things, receive those things as gifts of a place where you can meet God in shalom, in rest. Uh, second, this idea of Sabbath and rest as resistance, as Trisha Hersey is teaching us, is to uh, maybe take account of those things that are asking for your attention and availability. I do this, and I, I think I can identify some folks in the room who also do this, that you, you sit down to have your meditation or your quiet time with God, and one of the first things that you give God is your to-do list. <laughs> You're like, okay, God, once I'm done talking to you, I'm going to call this person and send this email. I'm going to sweep the floor. I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do that. Um, that's taking your availability. And it's, it makes you more tired and it makes you more stressed and it, it takes you away from that opportunity to rest. And so maybe the first step for you to resist those things is to get that out of the way first. 
to uh, John Mark Comer, who a lot of this uh, work is due to him. Uh, he and his family, when they practice Sabbath on Saturday, the first hour, they have a little box that's closed and locked, and they just take a minute to name all those things and write them all down and fold them up and put them in the box. <laughs> like, those things can wait till tomorrow. And so they physically have this act where they set aside their to-do list, they set aside the things that are asking for their attention and their availability so that they can give their availability to one another and give their availability and attention to God. And third, uh, trust. This is the one that's maybe a little more individualistic, which is to live what we call a devotional life. That if we truly know who God is in Jesus, if we truly know that God in Jesus is the one who holds all things together and also issues this personal invitation to come to him, to set aside the rules and regulations of religion, to set aside the yokes and the burdens that were given by everything and everyone else in the world. And he says, come to me, set aside time for me. If we truly believe that's who he is, we can find rest. And I say this, and I share this, not out of my expertise, but out of my deep neediness for it. (laughs) But I forget about who God is in Jesus, and so I'm not restful in him. And I'm not able to be at ease when I'm praying to him or trying to be in relationship with him. I think back to that that moment that captured my attention of that 35-year-old poker player, and I remember I'm not quite 35, so there's still time. I can still become a billionaire and skateboard and surf all I want. But then I remember where that's really coming from, is this deep desire to have my availability pointed to something that's actually going to give me rest. We have this model in our world that um, we're, we're living to work, that the purpose of our whole life is to work and to just run ourselves ragged. And the invitation that Jesus gives is that you work to live. We actually are called to do things. This, I'm not an anti-work person. I'm not an anti-productivity person at all. That's not what I want. But I do want us to, to embrace and to put into our, the, our rhythms of our everyday life the ability to stop, as we talked about last week, and to fully rest and fully give our attention and availability to our loved ones, to our spouses, to our friends, to our coworkers, because we're at ease in the world. Because we're able to lean back and say, God is in control and I'm not. And I'm able to take a nap. <laughs> I'm able to step aside. I'm able to give my time to something other than producing something. And truly, because this is the the, the truth we should all hang on to, you are not what you produce. You don't have to strive to be who God already says that you are. That you begin with that. You begin with the invitation that God issues to you, and that transforms the way you work. And for us, I hope that it transforms the way we rest. Because of who God is, he invites you, come, come to me. Because he knows you're weary. He, weary, he knows you're tired, he knows you're burned out on religion, he offers us these unforced rhythms of grace, they're before us. And with an openness, with open hands and open hearts, we can receive them today and be open to Christ and open to that invitation so that we are restful, peaceful, shalom, resistant people who see the world transformed with people who are not burdened and pushed and broken down by what the world offers for us and asks us to do and to be and to produce, but to say, I follow the one who invites us to come. And he invites you to come as well. Be at ease because of who God is. Amen. Let's pray. God, you ask for our attention and our availability. You ask for our hearts to be turned toward you. 
not as a threat, but as an invitation. Because you desire to be with us. You desire to hear from us. You desire to walk alongside us. You desire to find us restful in you. From the very beginning, your aim and your project has been to make a world of peace and of rest, of shalom. Make us instruments of that. Help us resist all the ways that we're invited to just be cogs, (laughs) to work ourselves to death, to fit in rest where we can find it. Help us begin with the rest that you offer us, which isn't just a moment, but is eternal. Help us lean back into you. Help us trust in who you are. Help us understand your character. And help us hear in every moment that invitation that you offer each one of us right now to come to you. We thank you for that invitation. Draw us closer to you in it. In Jesus' name, amen.